Hello, welcome back to IVFU and the conclusion of our very special conversation with Chris and Jesse about their experiences with Fostadopt, fathering, loss, and love. I'll say again that their story is intense, so take care of yourself as you listen. But at their journey's end is the most beautiful beginning, and I think you'll be glad you stuck with it. And now that we've all had a little deep breath, let's start with a recap on how their partnership began. Anyway, hi. Hi. Uh, We can start. Yeah. So I just wanted to sort of recap. You were the Iggy Pop at the AA meeting and Jesse honed in on you like a beacon. No. <laughs> and uh, what he was might pretty have been... dashing too. He was he was quite a catch and out of my league. And I was smart enough to know that. And I don't <laughs> just say that to be charming. Like I really did like Google Jesse. He's he's quite the dashing gentleman. He's okay. making it all like I he he really short sells himself. He was a television, <laughs> he was a television chef. He was, you know, he was very glamorous. That is yeah, very he, glamorous. Oh yeah. He was on the Oprah Winfrey network. He was oh on my a TV gosh. show. Yeah. So when he was asking me like how I felt about marriage and kids, you know, I wasn't gonna tell him, you know. Yeah, I don't know who thought about that. You know, yeah. but I mean, I you know, I, I mean, it sounds like something out of a romantic comedy with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt, but like he really did make me better. He made yeah. me better, and I've always known that. And he he's always like seen my best self. Like he's always like believed in my talents more than I did. Believed in like believed I could do things. I would say it's more of a you're doing this, so get used to it and uh, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But um I know where we ended. We ended pretty much with the tragedy and the sadness of Caden's passing. Yeah. Um and I think we also I just want to make sure we did. We really talked about all of the just the amazing things that happened with that too with his mom and our relationship with her and yes, what, how we all kind of came together and it really just uh it will always be this experience that um really rocked my world, you know, but also, of course, trained me, you know, as my first experience as a father, you know, he'll always be our, our first son, you know, we have right. three, three sons, you know, I know and, um, that's how I'm thinking of it. Exactly. Yeah. And so as we go into this next chapter, my first question is, who was ready to try again first? Or were you both ready? How did you come to this decision that it was time? I knew that um, from my point of view, it was unspoken. I, I always knew Jesse, I knew Jesse wanted to try again. Mm-hmm. I also knew that we were grieving. Um, a time period went by. As I remember it, I feel like we started to talk to our social workers from Vista Del Mar. And, and I remember there was a couple opportunities that I said no to. Did you um, feel like you were still grieving or it wasn't, wasn't a good ready. match? I, was, match I, yeah. I just wasn't ready. I was afraid. I wasn't ready yet. Um, and then one day I said, maybe if there was an infant boy, I mean, here's the deal. And and I'll be really, really honest. Um, and I've talked about this too. We probably, we probably went back in too soon. Now it all worked out. Went back into, we went back into the process too soon. I think that we were still fresh in the, in the, in the grieving process, Mm -hmm. um, I think we it was still, a year, right? It was a no, year. No, no, sorry, not at all. It was like six months. It was six months when we started saying, okay, um, we might consider this again. But 
I mean, here's the deal. Like, I think what helped us not feel guilty about it was we were in grieving groups and we were in groups with people that had lost babies like Mm. we had. And they were all heteronormative couples that we were in there with. And many of them shared about getting pregnant right away. And that part of their process with that pregnancy was not caring about the judgments of other people and their Mm. opinion. And for me personally, I missed the physical presence of the baby. And I know that I was projecting my love onto that sort of fantasy, Mm. but it was real and I could feel it. I mean, and my heart just ached. And um, so I kind of went in the same direction. It was like, you know what? I miss having a baby in the house because it is an experience that I, I really enjoyed. And I miss my kid and I miss giving my love to someone like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't really care what anyone else thinks. Now, luckily- Meaning that it's, had, they might think it's too soon. Oh know? yeah. Listen, yeah. If, I talk to any, if you talk to anyone else, they'd be like, honey, it's too soon. You can't do this right now. So mm-hmm. I just knew I wasn't going to ask anyone's opinion about it. And mm-hmm. I would inform people that it was happening, but I wasn't going to ask anyone's opinion. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we had the support of Vista Del Mar. So they they weren't going to allow us to bring a baby into the house unless they felt we were mentally and emotionally prepared to do so. Mm-hmm. And so they met with us. They talked with us and we said, well, why don't we just say that we're open to, like Chris said, if there was an infant boy that was available, we would consider it if the scenario looked good. I want to say one thing about that. I did say that, but it was more, uh, the reason I said that was because it was my way of saying that I was ready. It didn't mean I only wanted a boy. Do you know right. what I mean? It just, I just said that because we'd had a boy and I said, maybe if there was an infant boy, but I, I was open. It wasn't that I was just looking to adopt another boy. We just, I just said that one day because I wasn't ready. And then I was, yeah, you right. know what I mean? Right. And then that, that was my way of saying, okay, um, I, I would consider this again. And I'm just wondering, having been through that loss, you know, there's potentially a lot of loss in foster adopt too, because if the parents come back, you may oh, yeah. not have that child. You may Tons not adopt that yeah. child. So I would think I would be terrified of going through loss again, having just gone through the yeah. loss I just went through. Well, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that's where, personally, I can only speak for myself on this one, where some of my judgment was probably a little clouded from my grief. Because um, putting yourself back into that um holding pattern again, the whole experience, the whole system of foster foster to adopt uh, is it's intense. And I will say too, like the process that we were about to embark upon was more intense than the grieving process for me. Mm. Um, Just because of all of the working factors, everything that was at play. All the variables, yeah. Yeah, and, um, but again, it turned out to be perfect. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about chapter two. Yeah. What happened? Uh, uh, we got a phone call one day. Uh, there was a baby who was getting out of the hospital. He had been in the hospital. He had been admitted to the hospital three weeks before with severe, severe injuries. Mm-hmm. And um, it was immediately determined without a doubt that it was child abuse. And the baby was how old? 
five weeks. The baby went into the hospital when he was five weeks old. Wow. When he was five weeks old, he was brought to the emergency room. He had severe injuries. Uh, it was known immediately that there was no way that this could have happened but child abuse. Later on, a child abuse expert would testify that there were certain injuries that only happened because they were inflicted by an adult. And so the baby was taken away, brought to the hospital. My gosh. And um, this baby was getting out of the hospital and we were called and Jesse was, got the call and was asked if we wanted uh, to take this boy. We knew at the time that he had a sibling and that the sibling was two and was in another foster home, had been taken out of the house the same day, uh, but was in a different location. So when Jesse contacted me and asked me, and we were having the conversation about it, we knew we were really talking about two kids, mm. you know, because mm-hmm. we knew that they would want to keep them together. So we knew we were talking about biological brothers, one a baby, the other two years old. And um, I'll let Jesse. Well, speak. now how, I just want to ask you, Chris, because you had mm-hmm. said, well, I could think about doing this if it was an infant boy, but now suddenly mm-hmm. it's two. So what, did that change your thought on this one? Was this emergency placement, by the way? This was it was also- emergency placement. Okay. He was getting out of the hospital that day. Got it. Um, and he was still hurt. He was still he yeah. was still very, very fragile. And um, the two thoughts that went through my head were, number one, wow, this is dark. This mm-hmm. is different than drug abuse. I understand drug abuse. I understand <laughs> the illness of alcoholism and drug addiction. This is about something darker that I don't understand. And, um, and I also knew that we would probably be in the room with these parents and that we would have to deal, have dealings with them. And so uh, that was my first thought, wow, this is something darker. And, but as far as the brother, you know, we had always talked about having two and I don't know, I kind of was excited by that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very nervous. I remember I said to Jesse, I'm going to get emotional. I remember I I was at work. We text first and then we were talking and I said, I said, this is dark. This is so much darker. And I remember Jesse used the phrase that they had told him that there's a baby getting out of the hospital and he had nowhere to go. Mm. And there was just something again, like, um, I knew we were capable, you know, and, and it just, uh, I said to Jesse, what do you think? And he said, I think we should say yes. And I said, um, okay. And so Mm -hmm. we said, yes. And then it was happening and they brought the baby to us later that day. And Jesse, what's, do you have the same recollection? (laughs) No, (laughs) not. Yeah, we never do. What happened, Jesse? So, I mean, honestly, my, my thought was when I heard that there was a two-year-old, I thought, well, we're really great with babies. We know that how much harder could having a two-year-old in the mix be. And again, this was ignorance is bliss because <laughs> I, I remember yeah. one day I have a two-year-old yeah, now. I no, can say, well, yeah, it's a well, lot let me, harder. Let me tell yeah. you, like yeah. I remember stress walking with one of my friends one day and she goes, you know, I read an article that said having two kids is not twice the work. It's five times the work. And I said, yes, <laughs> that is exactly it. I'm like, that <laughs> is it. It is five times the work. Um, faith, luckily I didn't know that. So I was, I was excited by the possibility. Now, here's what you should know about me as I'm a total like mystic, hippie, crystal loving, meditating fairy. And uh-huh. <laughs> we got the call. The baby went into the hospital on Caden's birthday. 
And mm. so I was like, wow, okay. So that's something that just pointed out to me. I called my friend who also happens to be an astrologer. And he said, Jesse, today is the spring equinox. And you got the call the moment the planet went officially went into the equinox, meaning the planet itself is coming out of a dark phase into a light phase where there is life renewed, life restored. And so I just felt like, okay, you know what? This feels really good. And um, a lot of it, again, you get a call at 3 p.m. There's a baby in your house at 6 p.m. So it's a flash. So the details a little blurry. Um, And I can't remember if right away Chris was for, because Chris, to be honest, before Caden even came, Chris was kind of leaning towards having an older kid. And I... Hmm really what was advocating for having the experience of having a baby. I really wanted to have that experience. Um, so I think that he was probably okay with that. Um, but w- however it came to be, whatever the exact details are, um, we said yes, knowing that at this age, both the baby and his brother, who is two, and his brother wasn't even two yet. He was almost two. Um, okay. Yeah. That uh, they were going to want these kids together. And so we right. knew that getting into it. It's also, I think, important to note, I don't know if we said this, they didn't come on the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the baby came and then his brother came, what, Jesse, two weeks later? No, it was, uh, see, Victor came on March 20th and Tony came on April 13th. I remember that because it was Friday the 13th. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, but part of the reason why Tony came so much later was because Victor had to go into the hospital again. He had sepsis uh, in his blood. Um, oh, his wow. blood had been poisoned from an untreated urinary tract infection. Oh, and so within three weeks of having Victor, the baby, in our home, we had to go back to the hospital with him, to the emergency room, because he had a fever. And he had to be hospitalized for two days oh because of a urinary tract infection. And that yeah. was, and if you want to talk about PTSD. I was going to say the trauma yeah, of being awful. back was, there. Oh my goodness. It was too much. I mean, Chris, I mean, I just remember Chris like literally almost melting down in the ER. He was like this, yeah. you got to tell him about Kawasaki disease. They need to check yeah. for Kawasaki disease. Now. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, I mean, and who can blame him? Who can, who yeah. can blame him? Uh, but I will say another kind of wild healing thing that kind of happened was the social workers and people from the experience with Caden found out we were in the hospital and came down and visited us and talked to us. Yeah, that was, that was beautiful. So it was a sort of, um, I mean, listen, you never want to end up in the hospital with your kid, but again, it was sort of the best case scenario in that situation because we were able to, in a way, have a little closure with the people that helped us on that awful, awful day. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, just to back up for one second. So you, the day that you picked up the baby, mm-hmm. what was that? What were those emotions like when you, you brought this baby into your home? Now you have a baby again in the home. Was it love at first sight? Was it terrifying? Was the social it- worker, the social worker brought him to the house. It was definitely love at first sight, but you see, here's the thing that you, and it's the kind of the thing I don't want to talk about too, is that he was, what had happened to him was an abomination. So mm-hmm. it was really about that. Do you know what I mean? He'd been abused for right. the duration of his life. And 
they were bringing him into our house. He didn't fully cry out. He was very, very, his ribs were recovering. We yeah. loved him instantly. And we were very concerned and cautious. And uh, we just wanted him to be okay. I mean, it was all about him. I wonder if the, that need to be functional kind of takes over. You know, this is someone yeah. that we, needs ultimate care. And 150% of our attention is focused on that right now. I mean, a pins dropped and we, we would get up in the yeah. middle of the night. You would hear like the slightest gasp and we would, we would be up. Like, so, plus c- combined with what had happened with Caden and that here was a very fragile child that, you know, even under really healthy circumstances, just meeting us, coming into the home for the first time. And as Jesse said, there was other stuff, urinary tract infections, all kinds oh. of things that went on. So, so we loved him very much instantly, but we also, he, he needed our help. And, yeah. uh, and, and we were, we made that our hundred percent priority. Right. Were you able to take off work and stuff or were you still going to work? I went to work, but Jesse, yeah. Jesse did it during the day for sure. Yeah. Jesse, Jesse really, really, uh, well, that did, did that, that was something that was different about this time as well was that the, this experience, it was a completely different rodeo, uh, than our first time, yeah. uh, especially after Tony came into the home when I had both boys, every single day, there was at least one appointment, if not more, all over Los Angeles every day. And um, I'll say this, every aspect of the first year and a half was intense. Everything was intense. Yeah. So every week we have doctor's appointments, specialist appointments. Uh, We have uh, developmental uh, you know, uh, social development, mental development, emotional development appointments. We have people coming into the house to make sure the house is clean and whatever, checking on kids, both our social worker and their social worker. Um, and so it was, I had to step away from my job. I had to step away from everything. It became a full time job. And, um, you know, because then after the assessments, there was programs, that they got to participate in. Thank God. Like we had, and one benefit, one huge benefit about FOSS to adopt is access to some of the yeah. best programs and assistance that doesn't go away. Even after you adopt, you have access yeah. to these things. Yeah. And right. so um, it's a real, um, their insurance is taken care of until they're 18, full coverage oh, wow. insurance. It's really- By the state? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's a real benefit. Mm -hmm. Yep. Everything. Doctors, OT, speech. And let me tell you something. They flourished from them. Like they worked. It worked. Like they had a team of people behind them and they're different kids today. I mean, it, and that, and and everybody played their part, you know, and, and it was, I mean, we very, very taken care of and, and it's required that you do this. Like it's, it's, you have to be a parent who can do that. And, and if you can do it and you're willing to do it, you know, these, these kids, they're, they're different and kids because of it. They really are. If I may interject, because of the abuse, there was very specific appointments that our little one had to go to. And because uh, they were assessing his development physically, they were assessing his development emotionally and mentally. Um, and it's 
the Audrey Hepburn Clinic through the Children's Hospital. Um, it's, a, it's a specific clinic for child abuse, and they have some of the best minds of child abuse working in that clinic um, and, yeah. uh, and looking at this. And I will say that um, these kids were just surrounded by angels. Their lawyer who represented them in court was an angel. The lawyer mm-hmm. that represented DCFS was an angel, a force of nature. Their social workers yeah, were amazing. And we, we had multiple social workers because they, um, the woman who was their initial social worker, who was a force, she got another job and she left because this is really hard work for these women and these men. It's mm-hmm. really hard work to be a social worker for the county for kids. Heartbreaking and emotionally and all that stuff. I want to say one thing, when because I know it's unique to our story and I know it's something you're going to want to know. So there was a period of time where no one, it hadn't been decided yet what had happened. And during that period, there were visits with the parents. Mm-hmm. So obviously Victor was a baby. He's a baby. You hand babies to people, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's what it is. And, and these visits were very monitored. And what happened with us is that uh, there, were, there were visits with the parents. And then later there were visits with family members that uh, were found and that could be possibilities for them to be taken oh, in by. And right. there were some that were really great people. But what happened was that, and I think Jesse will agree with me on this, there's two reasons that we have where we're able to adopt these children. It's a real testimony to the extent of the injuries to what happened to the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's number one. But mm-hmm. also the older child in these visits with other family members, he, he would stay with us. He wouldn't leave. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't interact with mm-hmm. um, the family members. He, it became really clear that he had bonded with us and we had bonded with him and as well as Victor, of course, but we were a family. We became a family. Like Victor mm-hmm. came first and then Tony came soon after and Tony came with a different set of needs. They weren't as clear cut as Victor's, but he was nonverbal and we had no idea what had happened to him. He had been in the same house for two years. We didn't know what had happened to him. Right, what he um, had seen, even right. if he hadn't been hurt. Right. And we bonded with him right away. And so in essence, Tony really had a say in that he stayed with us because mm-hmm. when we would go to these visits, he wouldn't leave our lap. He would stay with us. He really, he had bonded with us. And he, I always say, and I really believe it. I really believe he knew what was going on. I think he made a choice. I think he decided what he wanted, even though he wasn't saying it, but Mm -hmm. he was showing it. And the social workers documented it over and over to the, to a degree where the judge finally sent the lawyer and was like, you know, because it's, you know, this is something that not, that doesn't happen often, you know, where two Caucasian gay guys get to adopt two biological Hispanic brothers. I mean, it's an amazing family, but it's not something that happens a lot. And they both played a factor in it is what I'm saying. You know, and also the, and I don't know, Chris, you can say, decide if you want this in there or not, but you know, the parents were eventually arrested. They were arrested. And that's mm-hmm. how our journey ended with the parents is that they were, they were arrested and sent to prison for what happened. And it took almost a year to arrest them. Um, and I will say, I learned that in most cases, um, arrests are not made when it comes to child abuse because mm-hmm. the witness is often a child or won't say something or it's hearsay. 
That's not to say that family services won't get involved, but it's rare for an arrest and even more rare for convictions. We don't know what happened in the criminal case uh, with the parents, um, mm. but uh, that's how it. That's ended just them, how yeah. it ended with the parents. Was we were at court. Um, there, we had showed up to family court for something, and that's where the parents were arrested. Were they were arrested at court? because yeah. they knew they would both be there. Wow. So uh, yeah. Wow. And it's interesting because I, I I was thinking about the fact that, you know, you guys have a transracial adoption, but we don't even think about it because what we're thinking about is the fact that here were these boys that, you know, had been through this trauma and you were able to to take care of them and to bond with them and to become their fathers. And so the fact that they are Latino and you guys are white is not, I mean, does that factor in at all? Do you feel that racial divide at all? Or do you feel it out in the world when you're out in the world? Or is it like, that's not even a thing? Well, I can say like uh, just appearance wise, I have olive skin, dark brown eyes and dark brown hair. Chris has black hair and dark brown eyes. The kids I can't tell you how often we're in public and someone will come up to me and say, oh my God, they look just like you. And so (laughs) just from an appearance perspective, and I'm in Southern California, people often think I'm Latino. Um, Mm. Mm. So uh, just from an appearance standpoint, no, they they literally look like they could be my kids, you know, like they they do. So that's not, that takes care of some of it. But transcultural mm-hmm. parenting is something that we both take very seriously because we're committed to raising, you know, yeah, people we, who are very, very aware and very proud of who they are and proud mm-hmm. of their cultural heritage. And so we make it, and again, luckily, fortunately, that we're in Southern California, um, there's plenty of opportunity to immerse them in the Mexican culture, mm-hmm. little things that we can do. Like I'm learning Spanish so that they can have uh, an experience of that. And I'm teaching them what I learn. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we have an extremely diverse community of people that make up our base. So mm-hmm. as much of a connection that we can give them to their culture is very valuable. It's tricky too, because he's a hundred percent right. And we do, and we always like, like they're Hispanic, I'm not Hispanic. Like I, they know, but we we celebrate them. You know, it's it, it's like always make them like very aware. And at the same time, it's like I'm always cautious too. Like I don't want to put an exclamation point on anything. We just are who we are. Like this is our family. I'm very aware. Like I don't think anybody thinks these kids are mine. I'm a gay guy out in the world with two sons, and they right. totally know that they are not my kids. I don't think anybody. Just yes, they may think Jesse does look more like them physically than I do, but nobody has ever looked at these kids and thought they were my biological kids. I'm a gay guy and they know it. And maybe they think somewhere, some way I had this kid, but I I don't know. But like, you know, it's just, we just celebrate the whole thing. Like we just allow them to be them. We love them. You know, we have them in a Jewish preschool. We're not Jewish. Uh, (laughs) You know, my father is an Irish Catholic guy. They're in a Jewish preschool. Uh, we, we, my kids like love Hala. They built menorahs at uh, <laughs> Christmas time. We had a yeah. Christmas tree and we lit the menorah. Like it's an amazing, we had a day of a dead altar. Like it, we're, <laughs> we're, we've got a lot going on and yeah. they love How it. How old are they now? Uh, Victor just turned three recently and Tony will be five in April. And yeah, we're just, I'm, I'm 
thrilled to be uh, that that family, to be honest. Now, do you feel like, and this is not a fost adopt question, but do you feel like they are there women in their lives? Do 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 people say oh, yeah. these questions? Oh, yeah. yeah. So wh- yeah. where does that play in? Their Aunt Bethany, Jesse's uh, sister, is very, very, very much in their life. Um, She's their auntie, and she is all woman, let me tell you. And (laughs) Jesse's mom, Tina, she's a Montessori preschool teacher. We're so fortunate to have her. They see see them on a regular basis. All of their teachers are women. Um, And here's a question. Do you think they need women? Could these people be men and be just as helpful? Is there something about that yeah, male, We're going to give you difference? different answers on this. I'm going to let fine. Jesse answer I'm that. Curious. I mean, I think about I'm it myself. You know? first, yeah. Well, it was actually one of the social workers that, um, I, and fortunately, what was kind of, kind of great too, again, everything felt very serendipitous. The, the social workers for the boys were uh, Latina. And so they were a total sounding board for us because, you know, I was committed to being really mindful as a transcultural parent. Um, Mm -hmm. And most of the times they were like, you're just overthinking this, honey. But one thing that she said, which was interesting, because I, somebody said to me, well, who's more of the mother role and who's more of the father role when they were talking about our Mm -hmm. parenting dynamics. And the social worker said, you know, that is so homophobic. She goes, because it suggests Mm. that there has to be a mother in order for there to be a healthy home environment. And that's just not the case. And I was like, wow, Mm. I never thought of it like that. Like there doesn't have to be that, you know, the, the, the suggestion that there has to be a feminine presence in order for these kids to be healthy or well-rounded suggests that there's something wrong with same-sex coupling. And there isn't. And so after hearing that, I was like, oh, okay, that's actually really lovely. And I want to answer that question. I would just say, oh, yeah. look, you know, um, we're a two dad family and that's just the way it is. And, and let me preface this by saying there is no one out there who has a better relationship with their mother than me. And Jesse yeah. will back that up. I mean, I talk to my mother four times a day. I love <laughs> my mother, but at the same time, that's not their story. You know, this yeah. isn't their story. You know, I tell them all the time, you're so lucky you have two dads. You have no idea how lucky you are. You have two dads. Everybody wants two dads. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, <laughs> but do I think they need a mother? No, I don't. Yeah. I'll be honest. I don't. Uh, do I love mothers? Yeah. Do I respect women? Love them. But do I think they need to a mother? Absolutely not. They have tons of female influence around them. I would even argue like we do have a little bit of a mother father thing here in our house even, but, but, but it doesn't matter. It, I think that uh, I, I don't think it matters. Yeah, I mean, our, one, our secret weapon is having a great family. And Chris's mom is very present and she supports us in many ways. And my sister is very present. They have wonderful godparents. There's one thing, I think a gift, a superpower of the LGBTQ experience is the ability to create a chosen family, to create community. Mm-hmm. Because by default, many of us had, had to. And so I feel like that's something that we've learned. And it's, it's something that we're gifting these kids and, um, and we have a fabulous community. So I feel very blessed um, to be where we are and who we are. Um, I think these kids are going to have a really wonderful life. And, and I'm happy that we're able to be a part of that. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, so from the time you guys, that day when they brought the baby to you, to the day, that day in court when you were adopting them, how long was that? Two years? Almost two years. Almost. Wow. And then when that day came, did you get to sort of breathe a sigh of relief or are you still a bit on your guard? Is there a moment? Oh, no, we, uh, no, we have adopted them. They are, yeah. they, we've adopted them. We've changed their names. Um, they have uh, our dad's middle names and they have our, oh, wow. so well, okay. what, what you should know is that once they're adopted, they're adopted. We, we got a new birth certificate with their new names that we gave them. Oh, um, yeah. And we are both, it's a big we deal. are both listed as the parents on the birth certificate, even though we're same sex couple, we we're, we're both listed as the parents. Um, is it father, father or parent one, parent father, two, father. or how do yeah, they, father, father, yeah, father, uh-huh. father. And, um, you should know too, just to finish up the court conversation, this case was fast tracked and it took two years. It was fast tracked wow. because the age of the kids. So if a child is in the court system and they're under the age of three, they will fast track that court case, which feels like molasses. The fast track feels like molasses because they are extremely <laughs> right. thorough. Because in California and some of the Southern states specifically, Latino families have been really screwed over um, of fear of deportation of some of their family members or themselves. Mm. So they've learned to lay low. And so, so many families have been screwed over children taken away from their homes that didn't need to be because they didn't know how to speak up for themselves, you know? And we would never want to do that either. Right. Um, But we didn't realize that was part of the story. Like, you don't realize. So I'm glad that I know that now because that helped soften my heart a bit and helped me move into more of a compassionate understanding of the process. So Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like this big, mysterious monster. Right. And you go through all of this. There's your personal journey through it. There's the emotions around the state that the kids were in when you got them. There's the process of rehabilitating them and helping them and all of the wonderful people that they're going to see and the therapists. And is there a moment or a day when when you were like, oh, that was just like a normal family thing that just happened? Like something that just wasn't part of all of this work? Or was that happening maybe all along throughout? You know, it, it, I was anxious until we signed the official papers because Mm. there's, you hear all these stories, like there's always something that could happen. So I just needed it to be legal and done, legal and done. After that, Mm -hmm. it was a huge sigh of relief. I would even say I experienced quite a couple bouts of depression afterwards. It was almost like, um, Interesting. I would say there was almost like uh, I didn't have time to deal with anything until that was done. And so a lot of the emotional and mental stuff that I have been through over the last few years, including Caden, really came to the surface. Um, mm. And that took a, a while for me to really process. It wasn't like postpartum or anything. I was very functional. I was very present. as all those wonderful things. But it was just there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but I will say now that that experience feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like a completely different, like we're a completely, not a different family, but like, I just guess energetically I'm different because we're just a normal family. I mean, 100% normal family. Like we just, yeah. and one of the greatest things I ever heard from a specialist was you have two normal boys because yeah. they are 100% um, they're meeting all of their developmental um, 
milestones. Milestones, yeah. Milestones, Some of their developmental yeah. milestones are met. Some are even above <laughs> that. Uh, you know, these kids are wickedly smart, super funny, very active. Um, they're, you know, they're creative and they're in a house of artists and philosophers, you know, that's who we are and that's the family they're coming from. So there's a proclivity towards the arts and, and beautiful things and making things and stuff like that, that we definitely encourage, but they're also totally physical and wonderful and great. And, um, and so now we're just taking them to their lessons, taking them to school. We're finding activity. I will say. I, I will say one thing, you know, as we said, Victor was a baby, you know, and, and he had all of these things going on, but he was still a baby. And he was a baby that we raised, you know, from weeks old. And Tony came and he was two. And when he first came, he was very upset. Like he mm. was really, really upset. He was really upset. He was scared. He he had night terrors and he was mm. afraid. And, you know, he was there when whatever happened to his brother happened. You know, he was taken out of the house. You know, like he had a lot that had happened with him. And and but I remember when he like called me daddy and called Jesse Papa. Like he did that. You know, we didn't tell mm. him to do that. He did that. Mm. And I'm I mean, listen before we would take him to the park and like other kids would come up to him and he would just stand there. He didn't know how to act. Like he didn't, Mm -hmm. he was just so, he was meek. He was timid. He was so wounded. And, and then this year they told me about how he had become a leader in the class and it made me want to cry. Like it really made me want to cry. Like he is such a personality. He is such a, like, they send us these videos and he's the only one dancing and he's like so (laughs) big and boisterous and, he has interest and he's not afraid to ask for what he wants. And yeah, like some of that's still there, some of that shyness, some of whatever, that's probably just his nature. But there was like there, there, when they told me like, Oh, like this year, like he's just become a leader in the class. And I was like, Oh wow. That's not who we brought there last year. Right. So it's <laughs> right. amazing. It's amazing. to do. So that's like, I feel like, okay, like we're a normal family now. Like, yeah. Right. It's interesting too, because you know, we always talk about nature versus nurture. And I think I think what this shows is that if you have love. the best, if you have love and you have the best nurturing, it allows your true nature to come out. Because if he's a leader now, he obviously had that in him. It just hadn't been shown the light before. And you guys have been able to bring him to a place and all of their counselors and their helpers as well. But with your guidance it's he feels obviously safe and energized enough now that it is it's coming out yeah very exciting they're they're like jesse said like they're they're i mean they've got their own personalities they're they're really it's really something and jesse and i I mean like one thing i'm proud of it's like we just take it day by day we're we're here we're honestly ready to talk to them when it's time to talk to them and 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 you know and and right now like they're, they're really happy. They're not asking any questions about anything. Like sometimes I'm kind of like waiting for the older one to ask me a question. He's not asking anything. Like he is really, he loves us and we love him. And like, I tell him, like, we tell him, like, uh, when I drop him off, I'm like, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever it is, just know that we love you. And, you know, whether you're at school, whether you're at this or this and like, and he'll turn to me and he'll say like, he'll say, Hey, let me tell you a secret. And I say, what? He says, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I love you. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And it's what's so inspiring to hear you guys talk about is the fact that 
it's not terrifying forever. You know, you have this time that is all of your time and all of your work, as being a parent always is, but, you know, you're focused on the recovery, the rehabilitation, the adoption, the legal, the lawyers, the social workers. And now you guys have come over the hump and you, you're you out the other side and you're a family. And that's the reward <laughs> for oh, yeah. all of that work that you put in is here you have this fabulous family that is full of love and full amazing. of fun. They're, and, they're, yeah. ama- they're amazing kids. And um, there's so many kids out there. And, you know, I didn't say this before because I didn't want to sound too lofty. But the other part of it, like, you know, like the world is overpopulated, too. It's like, come on, man, like overpopulation is a problem. There's so many kids out there. And <laughs> right. I just knew from my perspective that I didn't need to do it that way from, from me. And I'm not knocking anybody who does, but it's like, it's not for everyone. You really do. Like you have to turn over the outcome. You, you have to have, you know, support. You have to like, you know, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing, but I wouldn't trade. I mean, my God, I wouldn't trade these kids for anything. I mean, it's the most, they're the most, it's been the most amazing, amazing experience. And, and Caden's a part of that story too. We have these wind chimes that you know, in our room that someone gave us to honor Caden and Victor rings them at night sometimes before he goes to sleep and he'll say for Caden, like he knows. Oh, so they know about Caden. They know the whole thing, you know, oh, though they know what they, they, they know they had, that there was another and he passed away and he's with the angels, that kind of thing. But, wow. but yeah, like, and they'll, they'll, it's, it's just their story. All their story. You know, a way, you know, the La Dia de los Muertos right. is a way to, teach them about Caden and teach them about Chris's dad and teach them about, you know, those that went before us while also teaching them about who they are. And it's just a, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. We are a modern family and I'm so, and I just love it. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and here's a very sort of maybe a dry question, but do politics matter while you're going through something like this? Well, Mm. here's the deal. We live in a bubble, yeah, and it's well, and it's it's called California, yeah. right? And <laughs> it's true. no, and it matters it because does. some of the politics out there are horrific. The 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 whole religious freedom bullshit that is coming up uh, is really a disguise uh, to limit, um, you know, gay people's ability to do certain things. There are absolutely things that Trump approved um, to allow organizations that are funded through taxpayers' dollars to discriminate against same-sex families. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really a thing out in the, the country. And so I am so grateful for the bubble that we live in. Because yeah, we're lucky we live where we live, for sure. Yeah, be, but it has really you know, not to go into this whole is a podcast within itself. But and it's, it's not a political podcast generally, but yeah, I do think it's yeah. hard to ignore those factors when we're having this conversation. Because it's there and it's real. And um, there's a lot of bigotry towards same-sex families. And I will say that, you know, part of a resentment that I've had to work through is, you know, the fact that it is so easy for people to get pregnant, you know, for heteronormative couples to get pregnant most of the time or mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And these people are m- many times horrific nightmares of parents. And so <laughs> for 
For us, the vetting that we had to go through, the training that we had to go through, the weekly visits where people were coming up and checking in on us and making sure we were doing all of this stuff, we were super parents by yeah. the end of it, you know? Yeah. And, and we had to really earn the right that so many people take for granted. I know you can relate to that mm-hmm. experience as well, but we really had to earn it. And the audacity of of someone to say, oh, well, you, you know, that's not right. You're going to harm this child. What a piece of flaming, ignorant bullshit, you know? <laughs> right, and right. It, that's, that's something where I have to really work myself through and, 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 you know, whatever, but that, that's where politics really like, really like eggs me on is, yeah. is that perspective, just ignorance, you know? I mean, right. yeah, this me. is, this is the world we live in. Like, we are a lot of people's worst nightmare. You know what I mean? Two gay guys raising two children. But you know what? I don't care about those people. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I mean, I got so long ago and, 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 you know, look, like we know where to go and where not to go. We know, you know what I mean? We know how to raise our kids. And it's like, I'm not interested in, 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 you know, knowing those people you know, right. specifically. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I just want to surround my kids with love and people that love them, people that get it, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. and, and my experience with homophobia is just always been, let them see you, let them know you be kind to them, be a good example. And if they still don't like you, find another friend, you know what I mean? Or go, go go somewhere else. There's no time. Right. Exactly. exactly. Great. Well, thank you guys so, so much. I'm so happy you're part of this podcast and this conversation. It's just wonderful to talk to you. And Chris, are you still uh, wearing your leather jacket sometimes? Me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're shooting back to the... You know what? I don't have it anymore. It's what? barely been... It's really been replaced with uh, backpacks and, uh, oh, you know, okay. I, I mean, I guess I still have some cool clothes, but I, that particular <laughs> leather jacket you're speaking of, no. I don't have no. it anymore. Well, I right. really... I mean, I, some I sort of a dad, you, I gotta I, tell you. He, I see so myself sad, in but... the mirror... I see myself in the mirror and I'm like, oh, wow, you really are a dad. <laughs> I, I will say that one of... Uh, my best friend, who is one of the kids' godparents, is a style expert, and she gets so many great samples of stuff. And Chris fits into everything, so she <laughs> gives him all I of got some good beautiful things, clothing. Yeah. It's okay. all a little tight on me, but on him, you know, he's has the metabolism of a nineteen-year-old. Still <laughs> nice. Well, <clears throat> maybe awful, if we do uh, post-pandemic, you'll yeah, crack out like, some of those outfits. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. I got it. I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. So Thank wonderful. You, Sam, for sure. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thanks for hanging out with Chris, Jesse, and me. I know some parts of their story were really painful to hear, but they also remind us so beautifully of how precious every moment is and how love and openness can keep us upright, even in the darkest of times. And don't forget to send in your questions for our expert therapist, Savannah Sanfield. Submit via email to ivfupodcast at gmail.com, or you can DM me on Instagram at ivfupodcast.com. Just be sure you get in by November 11th, 11-11. Who doesn't need some free therapy? Am I right? The IVFU podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaper, and Emmeline Summerton. Audio mastered by Logan Heftel. 
Thanks to Chris Benelli for the late night Pro Tools parties, George Strayton for marriage, and Gary Scott for greasing the wheels. IVFU is a production of Inside Voices Media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. You can download our theme song, Freakin' Love, at IVFUPodcast.com. And we'd love for you to review us on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to anyone who might be helped by these conversations. You can also be a huge help by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and PayPal.me at IVFU Podcast. Thank you. And thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together because it's all about being a family. And I-